again, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Touch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and I hope everybody had a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. And the month of May is obviously coming to an end, which means the third and final phase of NFL OTAs has about three more weeks until the league's annual summer recess. It is right now that rookies are making their first impressions to their coaches and personnel executives, but often the early spin, which is usually positive, turns out to be disproven. And that's why we do our draft recap series here on Sports Crutch with D. Crown, in order to give you the most accurate picture possible on a team's draft class. And we continue that series today with a look at the draft classes of the NFC East. To help us break down the draft picks of the Eagles, Redskins, Giants, and Cowboys, it is a pleasure to welcome for the first time to the program Mr. Emery Hunt. Emery is one of the best draft minds out there. He runs the website footballgameplan.com, which is a fantastic NFL draft resources that gives you one of the most unique in-depth looks into over 500 prospects every single year. And without further ado, let's get started to get Emery's thoughts of these NFC East draft halls. What's up, Emery? How you doing? I'm doing fine, man. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, we... We appreciate having you on as well, Emery. You're truly, as I said in the intro, one of the best uh, football minds and resources out there, especially to things pertaining to the NFL draft. And uh, without further ado, let's uh, break down these uh, NFC East uh, draft classes, starting with the Philadelphia Eagles, who started their draft with the 14th overall draft. They got selected uh, Tennessee edge rusher Derek Barnett. And Derek Barnett's production in college was remarkable. And just in case, for those of you that didn't know, he broke Reggie White's sack record at the University of Tennessee. And Reggie White is, is obviously in the Hall of Fame. So that um, illustrates his promise heading into the league. However, his subpower athletic testing at the combine at his pro day raised red flags for some. What were your thoughts about this pick? And do you think the Eagles passed over better edge rushing talent? No, actually, I like this pick because he's a guy that has a great sense of timing. You know, when it's third down and you need you need a big play or you need that defensive stop or need that sack, uh, Derek Barnett was the one for Tennessee that made that play. We saw that in the, the bowl game against Nebraska. We saw it against Florida this year. This is a guy that does a great job in, in being able to, to bend the edge and accelerate to the quarterback and get the sack in, which is why he was able to break that record. That stood for so long. Reggie White played college ball in the early 80s. Uh, so for him to break that record says a lot. And keep in mind, Tennessee has had a ton of pass rushers come through. Uh, Leonard uh, Little is one guy that comes to mind. And you also think of that the whole defensive line with you, John Henderson and the guys of that nature. Uh, for him to break that record it, uh, on, on a Tennessee defense that has had historically a, a ton of pass rushers, like Chuck Smith um, played for the Falcons, it, it said a lot. Oh, it, it absolutely does. And I also think uh, Barnett finds himself in an ideal scheme with Jim Schwartz because he runs a wide nine uh, front four. And uh, and given uh, Barnett's uh, limitations and his athleticism and, and his length, I think the wide nine is probably the best possible fit for him. Wouldn't you say so? Well, I just think with, with him, you know, a, a lot of times people tend to focus too much on the testing. Um and not the functionality of what they're actually doing. So he's a guy that may not test well, but he plays better than what he would test. And I think whether he was in a, a, a wide nine or just your standard four, three, or even um, playing with his hand off the ground as an outside edge rusher, I think he would fare well because he has those little nuances to his game that allowed him to be successful despite not having that supreme athleticism. 
I completely agree. The tape, as they say, is 90% of uh, the equation on a prospect. And uh, Emery said it best. Uh, Kabai times and uh, numbers are just a resource to help you uh, evaluate the tape uh, even more. And uh, Bardet's uh, testing uh, should uh, kind of be, not say it should be ignored, but it should uh, only be taken with a grain of salt because his tape uh, suggests the opposite. But another uh, red flag about this pick had nothing to do with the combine testing. Uh, several people it, on draft Twitter were comparing Bardet to current Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham. And gr- the Eagles that said they could get out of Graham's contract either this year or next year given the structure of the guarantees. Uh, do you see Barnett as Graham's long-term replacement or do you think he brings a skill set that complements Graham well? I think he brings a a, a a situation where he's going to complement Graham. Graham has a little bit more burst off the ball than Barnett. Barnett has a little bit more savvy, a little bit more um, completeness to his game, so to speak. But I think when you look at Graham, he has been inconsistent. So that's why the Eagles probably feel as though, okay, well, if he can't put it together again this season, we can easily move on. But you want to stockpile your defense with guys that can do great things. Both can get to the quarterback. Uh, Graham, when he was coming out of college, he was one of those guys that you thought was going to be a perennial double-digit sack performer. And, you know, due to injury scheme and different coaching staffs asking him to do different things, that hasn't materialized. But I do think, you know, having both guys on opposite ends makes any offense worried about their protection. So I think him being a compliment to Graham is going to be what makes uh, Fletcher Cox's job a lot easier, what makes guys uh, on the interior job like Timmy Jernigan they bring over. So it just makes their defensive line probably one of the best, if not the best, in the NFC. Oh, that's an interesting point. And given the presence of Fletcher Cox in the middle, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise because uh, with uh, uh, Barnett, uh, who will probably be an upgrade over Connor Barwin, uh, right from day one, uh, teams are going to have to take attention away from Cox, freak him up in more one-on-one situations. But that wasn't the only thing the Eagles did to upgrade their defense. Uh, there was arguably no more pressing need for the Eagles than cornerback headed into this draft. And the Eagles double-dipped at the position, potentially getting two steals on day two. And in round two, they selected Washington corner Sidney Jones with the 41st pick overall. And Jones, many people expected Jones to be a top 15 pick until that freak injury uh, he suffered at his pro day, uh, which was an Achilles injury. Uh, it dropped him down. Uh, but I was wondering, do you think the Eagles reached here at 41 given Jones' injury? Or do you think the value there was right, given Jones's upside? I, I think they did a good job in grabbing him when they did, because somebody else was going to grab him. If you trust your scouts and your scouts feel as though this guy at 100% can be the lockdown corner, then you have to take him. I think right now he's already better than Jalen Mills or even Patrick Robinson. So grabbing him uh, when they did helps out. Uh, you know, he's a guy that has to get stronger. Um, at times I saw on film he was allowing himself to be big boy, so to speak, during the route, out physical during the route. Um, so he's going to have to bulk up. He's listed as 180, but he, he's probably about 170, 173, something like that. So he's going to have to bulk up, get stronger. Uh, but he does have the length. He has the athleticism to compete and does a great job in playing the ball. Yes, the upside there was too difficult to ignore, though. And uh, hopefully uh, he could overcome uh, that injury, uh, given the time the injury occurred. And as I alluded to, the Eagles double-dipped on corner on day three, 
I mean, on day two for, for, for Gibby, and in round three, they selected another corner with uh, with high upside in West Virginia's Rasul Douglas. And given his height, at, which is 6'2", and his 2016 interception trail, which was eight, NFL.com's Land Zierlein, one of the uh, top uh, draft analysts in the business, compared Rasul Douglas to Richard Sherman. Do you share those views? But either way, how high do you think is the ceiling of Rasul Douglas? Well, that, that's high praise for Rasul Douglas. And I remember watching him, scouting him, actually, when I when he was at Nassau Community College and they were playing Georgia military. Um, and at the time, Georgia military ha- had uh, the running back, Javon Robinson, who went on to go to uh, Auburn. And they had a pretty good receiver. I forgot where he ended up going, but they put Rasul Douglas on him the entire game, press coverage, and the guy didn't catch a pass. And when they decided to throw at him, the one time they did, he picked the ball off. And so I put my notes right there and there. This guy has NFL talent, period, no matter where he ends up going. And he ended up signing with a pretty good football team in, in West Virginia with their defensive scheme, which allowed him to play off and play the ball, which is why you saw him have a ton of interceptions uh, this season. Last year, he was getting he had some injuries he was dealing with. Uh, this year, he was healthy 100%, picked off eight passes. And he's a guy that can't play press. He can't play off uh, with his length and ball skills. You like him. Uh, playing in his defense where they're going to be predicated on getting pressure, which is why I like the fit because he's going to be allowed to read, react, and make play. Wow, Emery. Uh, that uh, tidbit on uh, Rasul Douglas's uh, history uh, playing at the uh, JUCO level uh, just shows uh, uh, all of you at home why he is one of the best, if not the best, draft source out there. And, uh, and let's... Uh, go to the nation's capital next and take a look at this uh, Washington Redskins draft class. And they got one of the steals of the first round with the 17th overall pick as they selected Jonathan Allen, a defensive lineman from Alabama. Allen was arguably a top three talent in this class, but one of the main reasons he slid was concerns about a potentially arthritic condition in both of his shoulders. Assuming those medical reports are true, how long do you think Allen can play at a high level in the National Football League? As long as those shoulders hold up, I mean, I, I, I don't even want to play like I'm a doctor and understand uh, what that means for his longevity. However, I didn't think he had any ill effects at Alabama, and he's going to a great defense where, you know, it's a three-man front, and sometimes they go to a four-man front where they kick a, an extra defensive lineman down and, and inside. And, I mean, with, with the depth that they have right now, Again, this is going to be a scary defensive front seven because I like what they bring to the table with. Uh, now we have Allen. Uh, last year they brought in Matt Ioannidis from Temple. Uh, Anthony Lanier was an undrafted free agent from Alabama A&M. Plays with tremendous length and, and everything. And you still have Ryan Kerrigan uh, as well coming off the edge and even Preston Smith. So I think this versatile defensive front seven is going to make the Redskins tougher to move the ball against this year. Oh, most certainly. And uh, that Allen wasn't the only addition they made to that front seven of this draft. They selected an Alabama teammate of his with the 49th overall pick in outside linebacker Ryan Anderson. However, many on draft p- Twitter panned the selection of Anderson, saying that he was too limited and one-dimensional. But in that uh, YouTube video you just released, in which you broke down uh, the Redskins draft class, and by the way, Emery is a great uh, YouTube channel. Um, what is that YouTube channel? Uh, Again, Emery, how can people find you on YouTube? YouTube.com slash football game plan. Thank you very much, Emery. Emery, so just go to that website and see all 32 videos he just made, breaking down all the draft classes. And in the one where he broke down the Redskins draft class, 
he uh, uh, contradicted what a lot of people said on Twitter about the Ryan Anderson pick. Uh, why do you think Ryan Anderson brings much more to the table than many uh, believe? Because he has the ability to play inside or outside, and, and that's a unique skill in itself. So it allows you, as a Redskins uh, defense coordinator, Greg Minuski, to be versatile with your personnel. So let's say you want to use um, Ryan Kerrigan as a uh, traditional defensive end in a four-man front. You don't have to worry about taking another guy off the field or not being able to utilize Kerrigan in that role because now you have Ryan Anderson. Let's say you want to add an additional pass rusher out there and you take Mason Foster out and put Ryan Anderson inside. Uh, and now you still have the ability to have Preston Smith and Kerrigan out there on the field along with Allen. So Anderson's ability to play inside or out, his ability to get after the quarterback, he also is very underrated in dropping back in coverage. I think that's where he was vastly underrated. So I'm not sure where a lot of people got, again, maybe people focus on testing in the combine, but I'm not sure where people didn't see um, uh, the, the versatility and the value in Ryan Anderson's game. I mean, if you look at that Clemson game alone, he made the biggest play for Alabama that was nullified by an even bigger play uh, by the receiver going to strip the ball from him or to make that tackle. But he was able to get pressure on Deshaun Watson, strip the ball, and put Alabama in a great position to score a field goal. So he's a really good football player, can play multiple positions, and just allows Washington to be a little bit more versatile defensively. Oh, excellent point there, especially where you say he could play inside and out and he could deploy the pass coverage. What I think was a lot of people like might have saw him as an edge rusher, but the way you put him as he's much more versatile than that. And that's why uh, I agree with you that he was great value at 49 overall. And their Redskins got even better value, arguably, in round three with the 81st overall pick by selecting UCLA, UCLA cornerback Fabian Moreau. Uh, Moreau, um, obviously, uh, tore his uh, pectoral muscle while bench pressing at his pro day. Uh, but uh, that injury, I think he should get over, uh, at least in my opinion, in time to play week one. Do you think Moreau will be ready to play uh, week one based on uh, your knowledge of the situation? And also, do you think he is the best corner on Washington's roster right now? I think there's a case to be made for that. Yeah, see, I, I'm going to have to disagree right there. I don't think he's the best corner on the roster. Um, I like Kendall Fuller better than him. I even like Gotti. They were able to bring in uh, as an undrafted free agent, and Tevin Homer out uh, of Florida Atlantic, a little bit more so than Fabian Moreau. Moreau is a good corner. Um, I think I, I don't. I think it started for him. The hype started for him at the East West Shrine game. And to be honest, I, I don't think he was the best corner at the East West Shrine game at all. Uh, but now that they have him and what he does do well, um, he's a physical corner. He's able to match up. He does have good speed. He plays to his time speed. Um, instinctively, he's just not there yet. But if you're going to ask him to be a physical guy, a press corner, he'll definitely fit that role pretty well. You just hope that he he can, you know, by him being drafted where he was and uh, coming off that injury, you just hope they give him proper time to heal and he's not rushed back onto the field. But I do think they have good depth there to where they don't have to rush him on the field. So when he does get back, he'll be back to what we saw him do uh, doing at UCLA. Oh, that, that is a good point. Uh, they, Washington obviously is hoping uh, that uh, they could bring Moreau along as slowly as they can, given the transition uh, he faces to the uh, pro game. And now moving on to Emery's uh, current backyard, uh, 
East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, uh, and forgive me if that's not necessarily as close to where you currently are at, Emery, but uh, you got the picture. Emery is from uh, up, upstate New Jersey, and uh, we will now talk about this New York Giants draft class. And at, with the 23rd overall pick, they filled their biggest, arguably their biggest need on offense outside of offensive tackle by selecting tight end from Ole Miss, Evan Ingram. And uh, Evan Ingram uh, is a, a, fa- a fascinating prospect. Uh, he only weighs 237 pounds, but he is a matchup nightmare uh, for linebackers. And uh, many people were comparing him to either Jordan Reed or, as Mike Mayock compared him during uh, the uh, uh, brought the draft broadcast, he sees uh, Evan Ingram as like a bigger Mike Evans. And uh, so that is yet another amazing weapon for Eli Manning to have in this offense filled with weapons. But uh, Giants offensive coordinator Mike Sullivan uh, made a unique comment a couple weeks ago, saying that the Giants are going to really teach Ingram uh, inline tight end duties. And I think uh, I'm a little concerned about that because, like I said, Ingram's only 237 pounds. And uh, to ask him to do something that he can't this early, especially, is a little uh, concerning to me. Uh, does that concern you to a certain degree that uh, the Giants uh, say that they'll teach Ingram uh, those inline tight end duties? Uh, believe that you think he could be misutilized in that offense? I actually like it, man, because here's here's why. Uh, blocking, to me, is a lot like tackling. It has nothing to do with weight or height. Uh, it's all about your effort and you want to, you got to want to block somebody. You have to want to tackle somebody. And if all you, if, if you have that heart and that want to, you're going to be just fine. Um, which is why you see like shorter running backs and smaller backs do a great job in blitz pickup because they want to, um, and they don't mind going in there and getting physical. And I think what sold me on Ingram as a blocker going back to last year, uh, I was watching Texas A&M versus Ole Miss. Um, and Ingram by himself was manhandling uh, the number one overall pick, Miles Garrett, and, and this is supposed to be the best defensive end prospect since Reggie White, so to speak. Uh, but he was eating his lunch constantly in one-on-one blocking. Then, fast forward to the Senior Bowl uh, when he had one-on-ones in blitz pickup, you know, versus linebackers and, and safeties. Ingram was holding his own, and even on the. Uh, in, in nine on seven drills, he was holding his own. So he shows the effort and the want to, to, to do it more so than what they have on a roster in Will Ty. But now you have a guy in Ingram that can do a good job in complimenting Will Ty because Ingram can play in line. Uh, he did so at Ole Miss at times. And Will Ty can go back to doing what he really wants to do. This is a guy that, that 6'3", 260, uh, 6'4", 260, but really wants to play like a wide receiver. He wants to play off the line of scrimmage, wants to play like an H-back. When I was scouting him at, at Stony Brook, this is a guy, again, at 6'4", 260, that was returning kicks and punts. So he doesn't play like a 6'4", 260-pound tight end. Uh, Ingram does. And Ingram also still plays like a wide receiver. So that's why the Giants went ahead and took him. Now they have two tight ends that can catch the football, one that's a little bit more aggressive in the blocking department with room to, with room to grow, and the other in Will Ty that is a guy that can be that that uh, flex tight end, that, that H-back that can give linebackers and safeties problems like he did in the playoff game against Green Bay. 
Wow, Emery. I, I actually had no idea about uh, that film of uh, Evan Ingram. You make me want to um, watch it as soon as uh, we're, we're, we're done here. And uh, you make me, you maybe even like that pick even more. I actually love the Evan Ingram pick. I was just concerned that the Giants might be asking too much of him. But based on what you said, that's uh, that's not the case. So thank you uh, for clarifying that. And in round two, the Giants addressed another position of need at the defensive tackle position, given the departure of Jonathan Hakins uh, in free agency. And they picked uh, Alabama defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson with the 55th overall pick. What makes Dalvin Tomlinson such an ideal replacement for Jonathan Hakins? And also, do you think this pick was maybe a little too redundant, given the presence of Snacks Harrison on the roster, who has a similar skill set to Tomlinson? Well, I like how Tomlinson works with his hands. And so he's going to be able to find himself in the backfield. So whether or not you can win with quickness or you can win with technique, Thompson, I think, wins with technique and wins with strength. So you can have that next to a guy like Damon Harrison and not lose too much of anything. So I think he actually is the replacement for, or the, will do a great job of replacing uh, Jonathan Hankins because he, they thought they were going to get that with Jay Bromley, who hasn't panned out um, and probably is on his last leg. Uh, at, you know, as a Giants defensive uh, tackle. So he's going to have to step up big during training camp and in the preseason and show his worth. Um, but Tomlinson can step in right away, I think, and start as a rookie because, again, his hand usage and his strength at the line of scrimmage or at the point of attack is, is excellent. It most certainly is. And I personally was disappointed that the Broncos passed over Dalvin Tomlinson, but that's uh, for another show. And uh, moving on to round three, the Giants are obviously starting to look uh, into the future when Eli Manning is no longer there and they selected uh, who they hope will be his long-term successor in California quarterback uh, Davis Webb but obviously Davis Webb is a project given the fact that he comes from that uh, air raid offense that he played it at Cal succeeding uh, last year's uh, number one overall pick Jared Goff uh, and my simple question is here was Davis Webb the right project quarterback for the Giants to take in round three and if not, which quarterback prospect would you have taken there instead? Uh, yeah, I don't think so at all. I wouldn't have taken a quarterback, quite honestly, with the signing of Geno Smith because that's there. To me, that's the guy that is young enough and has that still has upside to his game that you want to start grooming to be Eli's replacement. Um, but if you had to take another quarterback, there, there were a lot of quarterbacks on the board that I thought were a lot better uh, than Davis Webb. Guys like Philip Walker, who played at Temple, who the Giants – showed a lot of interest in during the draft process. You also look at Gerard Thomas, uh, I'm sorry, Gerard Evans from Virginia Tech. He was another guy um, that is a lot better than Davis Webb. Alec Torgerson, who's now with, who was at Penn, but he's now with the Atlanta Falcons, was another guy the Giants uh, did a lot of work on and, and could have uh, taken in round three. Davis Webb, to me, is too streaky. And this is a guy, I mean, credit to Davis Webb for you know, making the most out of his appearance at the Senior Bowl. I mean, heck, you even look at maybe uh, Josh Dobbs could have been an option for uh, the Giants. I don't know if Pittsburgh take, uh, was able to take him before, but those are other options that were uh, easily available than Davis Webb, who is, again, a streaky passer. Much He's similar to what they already had or what they got rid of in Ryan Nassib. So I just find it interesting that they took a guy that high that's not better than Geno Smith or uh, – doesn't have that that growth uh, where you can say, okay, yeah, he can possibly be better than Eli Manning. So I just thought that was, in, in so many words, a waste. I agree completely, Emery. 
And uh, now let's uh, continue on with the reigning NFC East champion, Dallas Cowboys, who I also felt had a very solid at 28 overall. They selected Michigan defensive end Taco Charlton. And uh, you were uh, divided from a couple other top uh, analysts on Charlton's potential, uh, both uh, Lance Zierlein of NFL.com and Matt Miller of Bleach Report, uh, two of the uh, other uh, top-notch uh, draft nicks in this business, compared Charlton to uh, Cardinals uh, pass rusher Chandler Jones. And Jones uh, is obviously a freak athlete uh, who has uh, put up steady production over his entire career, but you express doubts that Charlton will become such a, a legit pass rushing threat. Why do you doubt so? Because he doesn't have the athleticism, nor does he have the technical skill to, to make it happen. If we're being honest, Chris, Chris Warmly of Michigan was the best defensive lineman on that front for uh, the Wolverines. And Charlton benefited from that. And he gets a lot of those sacks to where the quarterback has four to five seconds in the pocket and he finally breaks through and gets the, the, the sack. Or he goes unblocked and gets the sack. So... Charlton, to me, doesn't have the savvy of a first-round pick. I thought he was probably uh, a fourth-round-type prospect. Um, but So the Cowboys are taking him at a premium spot and expecting him to be this, this top-box pass rusher where that's not his game, and they're going to be disappointed. Now, granted, with all that said, he is going to a great spot where they have a great defensive line coach that's able to develop guys and teach them technique. I just don't think he has the quote-unquote it factor uh, to really turn it on and be a pass rushing threat. He wasn't even that at Michigan. Uh, yes, uh, several uh, friends of mine uh, um, expressed those same concerns about Taco Charlton. But uh, nonetheless, the Cowboys bounced back, in my opinion, in round two with the 60th overall pick by selecting Colorado cornerback Chidobe Awuzie. And uh, the corner was arguably the Cowboys' most pressing need uh, headed into this season, especially since their secondary got depleted uh, in free agency. And Chidobe Awuzie was one of my favorite prospects of this entire draft. Uh, his versatility just jumps out at you immediately. He could play on the boundary or in the slot. Why did a corner like Awuzie, with the versatility that teams covet so urgently today, fall so far? Uh, many people said he would um, go in the first round. Well, it goes to show you, man, a lot, you know, a lot of people don't know anything until it actually happens, number one. And number two, the NFL and some of their teams are still stupid and allow great talent to fall and not uh, select great talent. We just talked about Davis Webb going in round three when that's our Taco Charlton going in the first round. So it's not surprising to see a talented player like Uzi or even Jordan Lewis fall this far. The Cowboys got both. And like you said, um, Awuzie can match up in the slot or out on the outside. So can Jordan Lewis. And to me, they instantly upgraded the secondary with guys that can match up across the board that also have great ball skills. You had me salivating about the improvements the Cowboys can make in the secondary this year, given those scouting reports we just gave on Awuzie and Jordan Lewis, who uh, is also from Michigan and who the Cowboys drafted around later uh, than Awuzie. Uh, how much improvement? can we expect from the Cowboys secondary this season with the selections of Chidobe Awuzie and Jordan Lewis? Big time, because those guys don't drop interceptions. And, you know, if you're if you're a Cowboys fan and you're watching your secondary, how many almost interceptions uh, did they have last season? And that's why, it's, that's why I'm always a big fan of cornerbacks with ball skills, because they don't miss those opportunities. You, yeah, you may give up a little bit on height or maybe give up a little bit on speed, but if you're always around the ball 
and always are able to convert and catch the football, that's the guy I want on my team. And that's what they're getting from Awuzie and Lewis and even Xavier Woods, the safety they drafted later on in the draft out of Louisiana Tech. Another guy that may not have the quote-unquote measurables but has the ball skills and instincts to pick off passes and did so at La Tech. Oh, I completely agree here. And he is Emery Hunt, ladies and gentlemen, footballgameplan.com. You can follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. And Emery, we thank you so much once again for donating your incredible knowledge to the, the program. Uh, but uh, before you go, uh, I always ask the guests in our draft recap series the following three questions, and uh, you're no exception. So uh, here's the first of those three questions. Out of all four NFC East teams, who was the absolute best pick and the absolute worst pick, in your opinion? That's a great question. I, I would say the best pick uh, was Jordan Lewis for the Cowboys. I like that pick. I thought that was an outstanding pick. The worst pick, um, man, it, it had to be it had, it's sticking with the same team. It has to be Taco Charlton because I like what a lot of the teams, I thought the NFC East graded out particularly well across the board, Bs and B-pluses and things like that. Eagles had an A-plus for me. Um, but I thought Taco Charlton and, uh, you know, was the was the worst pick. I didn't see him as a first-round talent, but I thought Jordan Lewis was a big-time steal because of where he fell, juxtaposed to where I had him graded. And another intriguing thing about the draft for me is day three of the draft. Day three of the draft is my favorite day of the draft because that is the day that separates the contenders from the pretenders and the teams that draft well on day three are infinitely more likely to become the former than the latter. Who was your favorite pick on day three for each team and why? Well, that's a, another great question, man. I say day three for the Cowboys. You, you look at uh, Xavier Woods, you know, uh, again, another big time playmaker. You could say either him or um, Ryan Switzer, the wide receiver for from North Carolina, people say, well, they already have Cole Beasley. What's wrong with having another outstanding receiver that you could throw in the slot? So Xavier Woods and, and um, Ryan Switzer for the Cowboys, for the Giants, I thought Adam Bisnowati out of Pitt was a great pick because they need help along the offensive line. This guy was an All-American, um, and I thought he did a great job in college. It, coming out that offense, I just thought that was a really good pick uh, for the Giants. I also like that um, Xavier, uh, Avery Moss, the counterpart to uh, Derek Rivers um, of Youngstown State went to the Giants. Giants need help, you know, at, at outside linebacker or edge rusher. He kind of fits the mold of Devin Kennard, who they already have on the roster, who's proved to be a really good pick. And for Philadelphia, I think Donnell Pumphrey was a great pick. I don't care about size. To me, size is not a skill. Um, and this guy proved he can carry the load at uh, San Diego State. I mean, they fed him the football. He, he went to a power. He was a, at a power rushing, power rushing offense, and did a great job there. And he should do a great job with Philadelphia. I think if they feed him the football and not look at him as if he's Darren Sproles because they don't play the same game, um, I think they're gonna. I, I hope they don't misuse him, but it looks like they will because they signed Legarrette Blunt. But I like that pick, and I also like Sheldon Gibson, um, Sheldon Gibson out of West Virginia because here's a guy that that has the 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 tracking of the ball skills that you want from a receiver. He may not be the fastest, but he plays like he runs a 4-3. He's going to remind some Eagles fans of Deshaun Jackson and what he's able to do as far as tracking the deep ball. I know right now they think they have a deep threat in Torrey Smith, but Torrey Smith can't catch. 
like Shelton Gibson can, which makes him a deep threat. You know, so I think people think speed makes you a deep threat when it's not. It's your ability to, to make the big play deep down the field. And I think they'll get that more out of Gibson than they would out of Torrey Smith. And for the Redskins, um, you look at Robert Davis from Georgia State Sunbelt football. I give those guys props uh, for being uh, really good football players. And I think that's a good pick because they want to make sure they, they, they have Terrell Pryor on a one-year deal. Brian Quick, uh, I liked a lot coming out of Appalachia. Appalachian State, but he's coming from the Rams where he should still be in, in Los Angeles, but that shows you a lot about where he hasn't progressed. So Robert Davis has a, a unique opportunity to make the team and also contribute. So I thought that was a really good pick. And Jeremy Sprinkle reminds me a lot of Algie Crumpler. And I thought that was a huge pickup. He was actually one of my top three tight ends, uh, inline tight ends in his draft class. And they got him in the fifth round. That to me gives them an inline tight end, which allows Jordan Reed to be more of that H-back flex type because uh, he doesn't want to really block like Sprinkle does and will uh, and did at Arkansas. So I thought that was a huge pick as well. Yeah, I also thought another huge pick for Washington on day three was uh, Samaj P. Ryan, the running back from Oklahoma. And uh, do you think uh, Samaj P. Ryan could uh, emerge as the starting running back for them this year? Absolutely. I think he's the best running back on the roster. Um, if it was just based off talent, Keith Marshall would be the best running back on the roster. But Keith Marshall hasn't been healthy since his freshman season at Georgia. So you can't really depend on him. Outside of that, Samaj P. Ryan is the best back. He plays a lot like Deuce Staley. I think he's your, your week one starter in Washington and will do a good job in, in providing balance to that offensive attack. It, it most certainly should. And uh, at Emory, you uh, obviously uh, released all those YouTube videos giving teams initial grades, which is cool, but... I pers- I am in that cat that firmly believes that it takes three to four years to get the most accurate grade possible on all these draft classes, and uh, all these teams, at least on paper, drafted very, very well. And our final question is, like, in three to four years, which of these four draft classes will be the best? Philly, because they got better on the defensive line, they got better in the secondary, um, and on offense, they got a good playmaker in uh, Pumphrey, and they also added some talented undrafted free agents. Keep an eye on Billy Brown, uh, the wide receiver H-back from Shepard, Division II program, but he's a big physical guy, 6'4", 235, plays a lot like Jordan Reed, and was a star at the East-West Shrine game. So I think Philly, a couple of years from now, will look at this draft and say, you know what, that was a really good draft. And and I think Dallas, because of what they did in the secondary, and also with Ryan Switzer and Jahad Thomas, an undrafted free agent, I think Dallas will be right there, number two. Um, and Washington three, and then you'll see the Giants at, at four. Thank you very much once again, Emery, for uh, donating your time and your talents to the program and uh, giving your uh, impressive resume. Uh, we hope that this is only the first of many times we have you on the show. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the opportunity to have me on, man. I, it was a great, great thing. You guys do do a great job with the with the podcast, and I just really appreciate the opportunity. Our pleasure as always, Emery. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But we plan to be back next week with more of our draft recap series, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And once again, folks, that is Crunch with a K. For Emery Hunt, our producer Chris Broadhead, man in the box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and stay awesome. <laughs>